A high school junior attends a Halloween party, but never returns home. His parents begin an intensive search, but they only find more questions than answers, and police refuse to take his disappearance seriously. That is, until his dead body is found at the bottom of a ravine. What exactly happened to Kurt Sova? Missing, hidden, the podcast about bad things. Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another episode of Killing, Missing, Hidden, the mayonnaise to the peanut butter sandwich of your life. With you, as always, is me, Brad, your old attorney friend down south. Spent years representing criminals just so I could gain the experience necessary to lead you down these dark paths all for free. It's an excellent business plan. Now, I normally don't ramble much at the beginning, as y'all know, but we're going to do a little bit today because we've got to take a moment to celebrate what, to me, is a very major milestone. Last week, we reached 250,000 downloads. That's a quarter of a million listens, guys, um, to this little one-man operation. I mean, it's not, it's crazy. Folks out there don't, really? There's nothing better to do but listen to me? I mean, I'll take it. I'm happy about it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm flabbergasted. So it's really all thanks to y'all, you know, you spread the word, you shove it in your friends' faces, and and I continue to grow. It's not like I've got some corporate marketing department behind me. So I just want to say I really appreciate having all of y'all as listeners and even friends. You mean the world to me. And you also know how to give a man a serious ego boost. So thank you for that. Speaking of thank yous and egos boosts, Today's episode is brought to you by listener Brett. He didn't he didn't sponsor it. He just gave us the idea for it, which, you know, is awesome. I think he suggested this case about 20 years ago, and I'm just now getting to it. So, you know, that's that's how quickly I move around here. But anyway, yay, Brett. This one's for you. So let's hop in. Let's get going. Let's get down and dirty. Kurt Sova was found dead on October 28, 1981. The 17-year-old was found in a ravine by three kids who were playing in the woods. Kurt was found on his back in what investigators described as, and really focused on for some reason, a Christ-like pose. You know, his arms were stretched out and his feet were kind of crossed on top of each other. He was very clearly dead, but there was no obvious signs of what killed him at the scene. He had a few scratches and bruises, of course. Um, the one odd bit about the death scene was he was missing his shoes. Now, investigators found his left one in a pile of rocks about 12 feet away. The other shoe was never found. Now, Kurt had been missing for five days. He had left home on Friday, October 23rd in the afternoon to meet up with his buddy Sam. Sam told him about a Halloween party going on that night, and so the two decided to check it out. The party was being held at you know a nearby house, not a neighbor, but definitely within walking distance. And it, the host was a girl named Susan they had known from school. I get the impression, though it's never officially stated anywhere, she's, uh, she was ahead of them in school. She's an older chick. So, of course, they want to go to an older kid's party, right? Now, Kurt was your traditional good kid. You know, he didn't get in, he didn't have a history of problems at school. His parents weren't threatening to send him to juvie or anything like that. He, he did what he was told, you know. Um, he was a junior in high school. They lived in the outskirts of Cleveland in an area known as Newburgh Heights, Ohio. Now, his parents, you know, said, look, your curfew is 10 p.m. and we expect you to be home by then. And Kurt, did that by and large. And he was a responsible enough kid that if he was ever going to be late, he would call. And his parents would later say, you know, they don't remember him ever coming home after 11 p.m. unless he was spending the night at a friend's house. And even then, of course, he would call to make sure it was okay. Now, his parents 
you know, Kurt didn't come home at 10. They started to get worried, but they decided to keep their cool because, you know, he was their fourth boy. They knew that sometimes boys acted a fool. So he said, all right, we're just going to be calm. Kurt will be back by morning and we can fuss at him then. Morning comes and there's no Kurt. And so mom, Dorothy, spends the morning calling friends and neighbors Anyone else she thought may have come in contact with Kurt that night. Meanwhile, his dad named Ken was driving through the neighborhood and the surrounding areas looking for his son, asking people if they'd seen him. And despite spending all day looking for Kurt, either via telephone or via uh, uh, vehicle or even on foot, neither one of his parents could learn anything about him. So Sunday morning comes and they decide we got to call the cops now. This is serious. This has been way too long. But the parents don't stop. Like they're still going, calling the cops was just on their to-do list as they work on this. Ken, you know, keeps driving around. He keeps, he goes into the woods, walking hiking trails and stuff, just seeing if he can find anything. There's lots of ravines in this area. So he decides to go hiking down into the ravines to make sure that Kurt didn't have some sort of, accidental uh problem that is causing all this dorothy meanwhile was walking around hanging up missing persons flyers everywhere she could and telling everybody she saw about kurt and please call if you see him or have him call us we just want to know where he is and during one of her walks or during one of her walks down the street i guess she she's putting up a missing person flyer and a girl comes up behind her and says, hey, I saw Kurt. And like, okay, where, when, tell me. It's like, yeah, she was at this uh, party over at such and such house. So, you know, Dorothy goes to the house and asks for Susan. But Susan wasn't home. She was working. The babysitter who answered the door said she would have Susan call Dorothy. And meanwhile, Ken, like I said, he's searching everywhere he can. At this point, he's getting desperate. He's searching things like dumpsters. He's searching drainage ditches. He's going to every playground and park, anywhere you expect a teenager maybe to hang out. Um, and he's found nothing. So right now, the only lead we have is that Kurt went to Susan's house, and that's the last anyone saw him. Now, that evening, Susan finally called Dorothy Pack, and she denied having any sort of party at her house. Dorothy really tried to pressure her, but Susan insisted she didn't know anything about a party. She wasn't there. Nothing like that happened. Now, Dorothy probably should have been a private eye, because this mama gets things done in the story, okay? And she decides that she doesn't believe Susan. So she goes to the closest pizza place to where Susan lives. And talks to the manager there and says, listen, my son was supposedly at a party on Friday. Now the person who hosted the party said no party took place. I'm just curious. Can you tell me, did y'all make a delivery out there or something? And the manager goes to receipts and says, oh, yeah, we did make a big delivery out there. And it just so happened that when Susan was there, the boy that made the delivery was working that day. And he was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. They were having a big old party. There was probably your dozen, two dozen folks there. So now Dorothy's kind of ticked, as we all would be. And she goes straight back to Susan's house, this time to confront her face to face rather than on the phone. Now, looking Dorothy in the eye apparently was intimidating because Susan buckled. And she said, yeah, okay, look, I had some friends over, but I wouldn't call it a party. Well, how many friends? Did you? Well, I don't, I, I don't know. People were coming and going. And she finally said, you know, probably two dozen, maybe a little bit more. And uh, she admitted that there was some drinking. Now, actually, she admitted there was a lot of drinking. In fact, it would probably be fair to say that the alcohol was more welcome than any person there. And they weren't, you know, drinking wine coolers or having beer. No, no. They, they, uh, they had to prove how macho they were, and they were drinking Everclear. Which, if you don't know, that, that stuff is almost, literally, truly, almost pure alcohol. All right, now, Kurt isn't a big dude. We would describe him more as a beanpole. 
He's 17. He's apparently never drank, or if he did, it was very limited. And for your first experience to be around these older kids drinking Everclear, it's not a good combination, right? Now, of course, Dorothy talked to Sam because Sam was there with them. And Sam's story was, you know, Kurt was drinking and it got a little out of hand and he started feeling really, really bad. And so I took him outside to hoping that the cold air would kind of sober him up a little. And then I went to go grab his jacket. And when I came back, Kurt was gone. And apparently that was as far as Sam went with this. He didn't ask anybody where Kurt went. He didn't check to see if he had wandered off. Sam just grabbed his stuff and decided to get on home himself. Dorothy had been really kind of militant in her search and she'd kept things together and she was very focused. But this news caused her to crack. Like she just knew in her heart that Kurt wouldn't wander off from a party by himself when he had come with friends. That's not who the kid was. She knew that he had gotten himself into some sort of bad situation. I mean, he's arguably already in one. He's severely drunk at a stranger's house. And of course, now it's been over 48 hours since he was last seen by his parents, really by anyone. And Dorothy understood the math and it just was not looking good. Now, as I mentioned from the outset, Kurt was found dead in a ravine, okay? Now, this ravine was only 500 yards, which is roughly 450 meters, from Susan's house. So, very, very, very close by. And again, he was found five days after this party. Now, what's interesting about this is when Kurt was discovered, Ken, his dad, was shocked. Because it just so happens he had personally walked through that ravine the day before Kurt was found, and there was no Kurt. I mean, the kid was wearing blue jeans and this bright yellow shirt. He was laying, when he was found, he was laying dead center in the ravine. The kids that found him, you know, were just playing on the edge of the ravine up high and could look down and see him. No problem. So for Ken to be walking through there and not see him just isn't possible. So, you know, of course, with that information, police developed the theory pretty quickly that Kurt didn't die in the ravine. He was dead and then thrown into the ravine or carried. When Kurt was found, the coroner conducted an autopsy, of course, and was able to kind of conclude that Kurt had been dead for approximately 24 to 36 hours. So he had been alive for three plus days following the party. He did have alcohol in his system, but it was a pretty modest amount considering the circumstances. He was at 0.11. There was no evidence of drugs in his system, you know, prescription or otherwise. There was no obvious signs of trauma to Kurt's body. The coroner also found that there was no kind of pre-existing health condition or any sort of disease or virus that Kurt had that would have caused for this. There, I mean, the short answer is there was no evidence of what killed Kurt, okay? The, the coroner reached the official decision that he died from a probable accident. And in interviews, the coroner said, well, I took the Sherlock Holmes approach, you know? Once I eliminated what couldn't be possible, I had to go with whatever was left, and that's what was left. Uh, the deputy coroner in an interview described it as an instantaneous physiological death. I don't know what that means, but it sounds fancy. Now, amateur private eye Dorothy did not accept this conclusion, so she went back to pounding the pavement. She found one of her son's classmates, a kid by the name of David Turnsky. And David said, yeah, actually, I did see Kurt. I saw him on Monday. See, I was driving to a job interview down a street, and it's one of the busier streets in this area. And I saw Kurt walking on the side of the road with a kid, another guy I didn't recognize. So I pulled over, and I you know, offered Kurt a ride. And when I did this, immediately, almost like it was some sort of government operation, this van pulled up in front of me and Kurt and the other kid ran into the van. Dory said, you know, can you tell me anything about the van? He said, no, I didn't 
know that, you know, I didn't know Kurt was missing, so I didn't think it was a big deal. I mean, him ignoring me was odd, but I just figured he had plans somewhere else. And, you know, I had a job interview to get to. And, you know, if I had known, I certainly would have followed the van or written down his tag or something. The only other bit of information he could give is that he heard Kurt call the other guy Franco. Now, Dorothy soon learned the same day that Kurt was spotted by David, there was a weird incident at a local record store. That was one of the places that let Dorothy hang up a missing posters flyer. And the manager got in touch with Dorothy and said, hey, I just want you to know this really strange guy came in and made it a point to talk to me as the manager, and he told me to take down the flyer. And when I asked why on earth would I do that, he said, Kurt would be found dead in two days, and nobody would be able to find out the cause of death, so there's no need for the flyer. Of course, the manager brushed off the guy and didn't think anything of it. He was acting weird. She thought he was kind of, you know, someone with mental issues. But when she came into work the next morning to open the store, there underneath the flyer was a bundle of flowers, and around the flowers was a handwritten poem. And this is what the poem read. Roses are red, the sky is blue, they found him dead, and they'll find you too. Yeah, so that's on the creepier side of life. Now, Dorothy and the record store manager reported this to the police, and amazingly, the police were able to find this dude. They tracked him down, and they questioned him all day. But it sounds like, from the reports that you read, they didn't consider him to be really anybody with any credibility. They thought he was very emotionally and mentally unstable. And because they didn't have any evidence that a crime had been committed, they said they didn't have any reason to hold him beyond that questioning session. Well, sure enough, it was the next day that Kurtz found. And when police tried to bring back this mentally ill stranger, he had disappeared. He skipped town and allegedly has not been seen since. Now, shortly before Kurt's body was found, and we don't have the exact time that his body was found. I think it was sometime late morning, early afternoon. But at 3.30 that morning, Susan called and wanted to talk to Dorothy. And she told Dorothy, hey, someone's sleeping in my basement, and I don't know who it is. Do y'all want to come check it out and see if it's Kurt? Well, of course, Dorothy is like, yes, yes, yes. She wakes her husband up. Ken, you know, he jumps into clothes and drives over there immediately. And he goes through the basement and there's a cot down there and it's clear that someone's been using it. But beyond that, there's no evidence of anybody having ever been there. Now, Dorothy claimed for the rest of her life that she was always very suspicious of Susan's call. I mean, this was a girl that had already started off their relationship by lying to her and she didn't really think that they were going to find Kurt in her basement. Now Dorothy was convinced that Susan was doing this to try to throw a red herring into the police path and she eventually reached the conclusion that Kurt must have died in Susan's basement before being dumped in ravine. Now What's weird is while all this is going on and while police are investigating it, the crime happens again, sort of. Three months later, a 13-year-old boy by the name of Eugene Gvent was found dead in a ravine after having been missing for several days. His body was only two and a half miles from where Kurt had been located, and Eugene lived near where Kurt lived. I mean, they lived only a block away from each other in the same neighborhood. Apparently, according to kids at school, like Kurt and Eugene knew each other, but they weren't buddies or anything. They never hung out. Just one of those kind of, I guess, folks that you see in your science class and maybe sometimes I'll ask to borrow notes from, that sort of relationship. What makes Eugene's death even more curious compared to Kurt's is Eugene was found without shoes. Specifically, his right one could not be found, just like Kurt's. 
Now, one major, major difference is the coroner could determine Eugene's cause of death and learn that Eugene died falling into the ravine. It was that fall and that impact that killed him. Of course, whether he was pushed or whether it was accidental, we don't know. And there's very, very, very little press coverage of Eugene's death. So it's hard to investigate more into that thread. Now, Kurt's parents, after about a month of the police investigation, got really fed up and became really disgruntled with the efforts the police were making. Dorothy, in particular, felt like whenever she would talk to detectives, they would treat her like some frantic, hysterical, grieving mother. And she learned that the leads she had uncovered were not taken seriously by the police. They were never followed up on. Basically, if somebody wearing a badge didn't find it, they didn't care about it. Now, of course, it's not uncommon for parents to complain about law enforcement when their son or daughter goes missing or another loved one goes missing and they can't be found. But Kurt's parents sadly had a legitimate beef. Cleveland police offered to assist in Kurt's death investigation. And of course, the city of Cleveland is going to be able to have so many more resources to help this small community. But the NHPD immediately rejected the offer. They, I mean, it was, hey, do you want our help? No. There was no discussion. There was no thought. And over the next few years, we kind of get an idea as to why the Newburgh Heights Police Department didn't want anybody in their business. Because apparently they were crooked as all get out. Multiple officers from this police department would end up going to jail for everything from drug trafficking to falsifying evidence. In fact, the lieutenant in charge of the investigation into Kurt's death, uh, Lieutenant Karras, um, was found to be a serious drug addict and was sentenced to federal prison for taking inmates out of jail, handcuffing them, and then just beating the heck out of them for fun. When the department was finally cleaned up in the early 90s, the Cleveland police, the county sheriff, and the FBI were all asked to consult on Kurt's case at that point. And when they looked at what had been done and the records that had been kept, all three of those agencies said, there's nothing we can do. I mean, the notes from the investigation are among the worst we've ever seen. Uh, they learned that there was no pictures taken of the crime scene, not a single one. There are very few pictures taken of Kurt's body. No officer, I'm serious, no officer ever went and searched Susan's house, which is just such a red flag. The people who claim to have information would cut that would come to the police. They would basically just kind of take a written statement, have the desk sergeant or a secretary or someone just take the statement, and then they would never follow up on it. Effectively, the investigation of Kurt's death really didn't begin for 10 years. It wasn't until new administration came in, cleaned up the force in the early 90s that anything started moving. But at that point, what can you do? That's 10 years of witnesses moving, witnesses dying, people moving houses, evidence being lost and destroyed. I, I mean, there's, there's nothing you can do at this point. Now, that didn't mean that the police haven't tried to solve this case since then. They've done what they can do, even being kind of backed into the wall. Um, in 2019, November of 2019, the NHPD announced it was partnering with Tiffin University to help them re-examine the investigation. They wanted outside eyes and ears and brains on this case to see if there were some leads they overlooked. And they brought in a bunch of criminal justice professors, experts in various areas of criminal justice and forensics and things like that. They even let the students from the university who were kind of 
you know, highly respected within the criminal justice program. They were brought in. They brought in everybody they could just to get a different perspective. Then in February of 2020, Kurt's case was featured at CrimeCon in this event they put together called CrowdSolve, where any participant could sign up for this workshop and work with the police to go through the evidence and try to offer different perspectives to help move the case along. We never have heard officially if police learned anything either from the university or from the crime con experience. We don't know if they got new leads or a new perspective. All we know is that Kurt's death remains unsolved as of today. Now, sadly, as I kind of hinted at, most of Kurt's family has passed away at this point. His daddy, Ken, died in 2001. Dorothy passed in 2014. Two of his three older brothers have also passed on. His Only his oldest, Kevin, is alive and is the one that continues to fight for Kurt and tries to hang a lantern on this problem so folks can pitch in and help. Well, as you can see, we aren't overly burdened with facts in this case, are we? I think we do have enough, though, that we can identify some suspects. So let's let's try giving that a shot and see where we get. So the first name that comes to mind has got to be Susan. I mean, this is obvious, right? She hosted the party. She lied to Dorothy. She was kind of evasive through the whole thing. And from reading between the lines, this is just Brad being Brad, but me reading between the lines, this wasn't a high school party. This was, I got all these hints and suggestions that these were not, you know, high school sophomores and juniors. These were probably, you know, kids in their early 20s at this party. So Kurt probably was the youngest dude there. And, you know, again, if it was a high school party, what would you expect them to be drinking? You know, the wine coolers, beer. Maybe some somebody gets some cheap tequila or vodka, right? You don't go to Everclear. That's, you know, Everclear exists to get frat guys as wasted as possible as quickly as possible. So, you know, we, again, I, I talked about Kurt was kind of a, a skinny kid. And I'm not saying this derogatory. I'm just saying as a fact. He was 5'11 and 136 pounds. So that's that's mighty skinny. Uh, I mean, that's the beanpole kid. Looking at his pictures, I'm not being mean. He kind of has a nerdy look to him. So I that makes me think, again, Brad speaking for Brad, that makes me think he shows up to this party, sees that it's all these older kids. He wants to fit in. And so he tries to hang with them, drinking the Everclear and all that. And they probably... You know, if they were cooler, they probably kind of took, you know, adopted them and encouraged them, not in a good way, but in a fun way, I guess you'd say, since you really are stupid in your early 20s. They end up pushing Kurt to drink to excess and such that his only friend there said, you know, you got to go home and then something happens. Then we have Susan lying about the party. Why? Why would Susan lie about this party? If it's just a party. Well, it could have been as simple as I don't want to get fussed at because I let some, you know, high school kid get drunk at my party. I don't want to deal with the mom. I don't want to deal with all that crap. And of course, we can take it as dark as you want. Maybe Kurt did overdose and die there. And she was terrified and she was trying to cover it up. Regardless, I think... Even though there's no direct evidence, I think we can say that Susan knows more than what she's told. But I think we can create maybe some circumstantial evidence. How many times have we heard a story where the criminal reinserts himself or herself back into the crime scene when they didn't have to? I mean, Susan's call at 3.30 a.m. is really really strange, and there's not a good reason for it. Remember, she said that someone was in her basement and she thought it was Kurt, and then 
you know, 12 hours later or less, Kurt's found dead. Even though the police didn't bother to alert, Ken did. And what does he find? A cot that's clearly been used. Someone was sleeping in Susan's basement. Now, of course, Ken is not a trained professional, so we can go only go after what he saw and remembers and just thought was important. If Susan had not made this call, if she had just, you know, lied to Dorothy and then said, okay, fine, I had a party, blah, blah, blah. I would be tempted to rule her out as a suspect. But she inserted herself back into the story. And if the coroner's correct, Kurt was already dead when she made this phone call. So it's a little odd to me that she would call Kurt's parents after he was dead and at such an early hour in the morning and essentially tie herself to his death by saying, I think Kurt's sleeping downstairs. I'm not going to go check, but if you want to, come on. Now, of course, this is about 90% speculation, but I have the sneaking feeling that Susan was involved in Kurt's life, at least during these last five days. You know, maybe she was trying to protect him from her other friends, or maybe she's there in the thick of it. You know, the phone call really leaves me with the impression that she was trying to alert Kurt's parents to his death without implicating anyone specifically. Again, that's almost all speculation. That's just where my brain goes. Okay, so the next suspect we need to talk about, all the people at the party. And amazingly, we have no idea who was at the party. The police never tracked anybody down, made any efforts to talk to anybody, so we don't have a record of anyone who was at the party other than Susan and Kurt and Sam, right? So we're forced to make what I will kindly call a semi-educated guess. Like I said, I think these were older kids. They saw Kurt and decided, you know, to either take advantage of him by making him the clown of the evening or they kind of took him under their wing as the millhouse of the group, you know? I mean, I think every clique in high school has that one person that's in it that's kind of in it just to be made fun of, to be the low man on the chain. And maybe that's what they were doing with Kurt. Again, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just speculating here. And don't sit here and lie and tell me that you didn't have one in high school. Everybody had one. If you don't know who it was, it may have been you. Anyway, you know, I can see where these older kids get a kick out of Kurt trying to keep up with them. So they talk him into not going home. You know, Kurt's drunk for the first time in his life, allegedly. And, of course, he's not going to think clearly. Calling home, he can't do that in front of these older guys. He won't look cool. They keep giving him alcohol, and eventually he has way, way, way too much. You know, out of curiosity, I looked into it, and let's say, being somewhat conservative, that Kurt has just five shots of Everclear over a two-hour period. Well, that would put his blood alcohol content around 0.22, and that's roughly the range when people start blacking out. If he had eight shots during those two hours, that's when Kurt would start getting real close to that you're going to die stage. You know, just as a frame of reference, an in-shape guy, you know, someone that was more built, either with fat or muscle, uh, you know, if they took five shots over two hours, their blood alcohol content would probably be around 0.17, which is drunk. You know, noticeably drunk, but not blackout drunk. Usually. Everybody handles their alcohol differently, of course. The more of it you've had, the higher tolerance you tend to develop. And, of course, the less you've had, the less you've eaten, the less your tolerance is. And we all know, too, that 
a lot of kids, when they first start drinking, they tend to go too hard, too fast, right? They don't know what they're doing. They've never had alcohol. They don't know the signs that they've had too much. And that's why they always end up puking and ruining your party. And we have no reports of Kurt puking. Maybe he did. And maybe it was cleaned up. And because the police never, you know, bothered to check the daggum house, we'll never know about that. But we have no evidence of it. And, you know, even if my assumptions are right, would these young adults really want to hang out with a teenager for five straight days? I don't think they would. And all the blood alcohol contact info I've given you doesn't really matter, does it? Because Kurt's found five days later and had been dead for four and a half days. Well, for four to three and a half to four days, I guess we'd say. So it, I doubt he was continuously just shotgunning Everclear during that time because he was found dead with a blood alcohol contact of 0.11. Again, that's fairly low. Textbooks are going to say that you're impaired at that point. There's a lot of research out there that suggests most people don't really get impaired until they hit 0.12, but I'm not going to get into that debate. Additionally, even if we don't want to trust the coroner because he's connected to the police, what about David? David sees Kurt alive three days later, right? And so let's talk about this strange sighting a little bit. David sees Kurt. Pulls over on the highway, yells at Kurt, hey, do you want to ride? And Kurt's reaction is to jump into another van that immediately pulls up and runs away with a dude named Franco. Now, Kurt was not just some guy. He was a buddy. I'm sorry. David was not just some guy. He was a buddy of Kurt's. So the odds of this being misidentification, I think, would be pretty remote. You know, you can you know who your buddies are. Maybe in a tense situation where somebody's firing a gun, you don't get as good a look. But when you just see somebody casually walking down the side of the street and it's your pal and you decide to pull over and help them, you're going to know that that's really your pal. So does this mean that Kurt had fallen in with this crowd and was doing something stupid? It's possible. I'm, you know... Doesn't mean he was using drugs with his new friends and is becoming paranoid. I mean, possibly, but we don't have any autopsy results that suggest that. And we'll talk about this in a little bit more depth in a minute. But regardless of what's going on, we know that Kurt's alive. And for some reason, he's not wanting to be found. And him running from his buddy David suggests that he didn't see himself as being in any sort of trouble or needing to be rescued, right? So what really all that we can say, I think safely, is something caused Kurt to drastically change his behavior from what we're being told he's normally like. What usually causes that in a boy? Well, of course, girls. Girls make you do crazy things. <laughs> But there's no evidence to support that Kurt had been enchanted, right? Again, drugs will do it, but like autopsy found no, no signs of drug use. Now, alcohol can. So that's a possibility because we know he had at least some in his system when he died, okay? I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert on any of this stuff, but I can use Google. And Google... Google is a, a kind and generous lover, right? And would never lie to us. So quickly perusing Google, I found this, okay? Alcohol use can cause psychoses to develop in people, but generally this has to be long-term, consistent, heavy drug, uh, alcohol use. It would not be from a one-night bender. Now... Of course, if you've ever had a one-night bender, you know the effects it can cause in some people. Some folks, when the alcohol is wearing off, it heightens their paranoia and their anxiety and their depression if they've got that. Now, again, you professionals out there, please feel free to write in and let me know if I'm wrong. I'm doing the best I can, and I certainly would bow to your expertise 
But all of this raises an interesting question to me. Was it possible that Kurt was suffering from some sort of undiagnosed mental illness? Remember, we're talking about 1981. Just the idea of going to therapy, especially for a man, you know, that's that's not a macho thing to do, you know? What, are you going to go cry next, Sally? You know, that's the attitude that was going on there. There was that stigma attached to it. And so I don't know that parents are necessarily looking for signs of mental health issues in their kids. No evidence he's got it, right? I am totally speculating here based on that information. But this could possibly be an explanation for Kurt's actions. If he's got anxiety already, if he's got some form of depression, and he's coming down from what would be this massive bender, you know, maybe he starts getting a little too paranoid. And people, when they're paranoid, make some strange decisions. Okay, now let's go back to our mystery man, Franco, right? I mean, this guy just has suspect written all over him, doesn't he? Well, when you look into it, you find nothing. No, no, nobody interviewed a Franco. I, I've got a little bit more on Franco. I can't verify it as a fact, but it's at least something worth discussing. But before we get into that, why were he and Kurt just walking down the side of the road? Why was there this van that just appeared suddenly? And why were they so eager to get into it? You know, this is where some actual police work may have been helpful. It could just be an odd timing thing. You know, maybe they were waiting on the van to come pick him up and the van just happened to show up when David got on scene. But I mean, this reads more like some sort of spy thriller where they're picking up their undercover agents just as the police are closing in on them. You know, the, the timing's just odd and makes the story a little wackier. We have to talk about the best character in this story, right? The crazy guy the police interviewed and then released. How did he get so many specifics right? I mean, he knew exactly when Kurt would be found. He knew roughly the condition Kurt would be in. And he knew that police wouldn't be able to figure out his cause of death. I mean, maybe he is a true wacko who just says dark things and happened to get this right. That seems unlikely. That seems improbable. He just nailed too much. And then... As soon as police talk to him and let him go, as he do, skips town. He disappears. So why would he go and tell the record store manager about this? And then why would he leave that creepy little poem outside the same record shop the next day? Again, no clue. No idea. I, I just can't help but to think that finding this guy would have really helped. And, you know, if the police force wasn't brimming with corruption, maybe they would have taken his statement a little bit more seriously. Maybe they would have considered him more of a suspect. I get that they don't have a true crime yet, but they know a kid's missing, and this guy sure does seem to know an awful lot about it. So I think they could have gotten away with holding him for a few more days, questioning him. And if they would have had him in custody... When Kurt's body was found, who knows what tales he could have told, right? And and I get it. Despite what was going on with this police force, I know in law enforcement officers have to deal with a lot of folks who suffer from mental illness. And I and you know, I mean, from my work, I've had to deal with it. And you do get to where you brush off what they say, rightly or wrongly. When somebody's just rambling about conspiracies involving the government, you know, the federal government, the state government, all these elected officials all targeted at you when you're nothing but a part-time roofer, it doesn't make any sense, <laughs> you know? And so you stop paying attention to the ramblings. I just wish they could have kept tabs on the sky for a little bit longer. And, you know, that just makes me mega sigh that there's no uh, it's just so awful 
there's one more person we need to talk about who seems to be overlooked in a lot of the articles you read. And to me, that's Sam, Kurt's buddy, the one that took him to this party. I don't believe that he did anything, but I don't believe that he should be ignored. He knew about the party. He took Kurt there. There's nobody else from their school at this party, right? How did Sam find out about it? Why did he want to go? And then his attitude when Kurt disappears is just as troubling to me. Hey, go wait outside, buddy. I'll get your coat. Walks outside. Oh, he's gone. Well, I got to split. Sam seems like a dude that could provide a lot of information, at least on those final moments before Kurt disappeared. But so far as we know, we've really got nothing from him. You know, maybe the police have 45 pages worth of statements from Sam, and they just haven't made him public or acknowledged them. If they don't, though, man, he seems like somebody that has to be talked to, right? Especially after we've gone through all these human trafficking cases. You got to talk to Sam. I, I, I just don't see him as totally innocent here. And he may very well be, and I hope he is. I hope I'm wrong about that. But I, I just, I don't know. It makes my spidey sense tingle. Now, here's one fun fact I've held back on until now. And this is why you should always listen to the entire episode, people, okay? A woman reported to police the day before Kurt was found seeing a teenage boy being half-drugged, half-carried by two young men down an alley close to that ravine. And she noticed that the young man was missing his right shoe. Now, she did not report this to the police immediately. She waited over a year because her husband told her, we're not going to involve in other people's business. After she reported it, you know what happened? You know what happened. Nothing happened. Police didn't even bother talking to her. Let's follow this with a fun rumor, okay? Now, according to a Reddit poster, so of course, we got to take this with all the grains of salt in the world, right? A guy posted talking about this case, and he said his dad grew up in the area. And he, everybody knew Franco. He was well-known because he was such a good kid. He even went by the nickname Happy. Now, Franco's brother was kind of the exact opposite. He was a rough customer. Again, we've got no evidence he was involved in this case in any way whatsoever. Now, what this poster claims, and without a, you know, without a true name, I can't confirm, is that Franco was killed... Kind of strangely, a few weeks later, he worked at a gas station. Someone came in and killed him brutally, is all the details we know. And apparently there was no evidence of any other crime. So it wasn't a robbery that went bad or anything like that. It, At least the way this one random internet stranger describes it, sounds kind of like a hit job, Okay. And lots of people in the community apparently looked at that and said, apparently Franco is a loose end in something here. All right, so let's get to the multi-million dollar question, right? What do we think happened to Kurt? Well, I cannot come up with a theory I love. Every way I turn, each path is just riddled with potholes of speculation and assumptions. I know he didn't die the night of the party. Okay, I know he didn't meet a violent death. I know there was a change in his behavior during these five days. It could have been forced upon him by the people he was with, or it could have developed from other issues like we've discussed. I believe Kurt was intent on not going home and not seeing any of his regular friends. For some reason, he was in a sort of hiding. I don't think Kurt died from alcohol poisoning. His blood alcohol level was too low to be considered dangerous. Again, the body's going to stop 
metabolizing the alcohol when he dies. So it would have been right at 0.11 when his body stopped working. But there's also, in addition to that, you know, there's other signs of alcohol poisoning that experts can pick up on during an autopsy. I don't know what, and I wasn't going to go down that science trail. Now, I do believe Susan knows a whole lot more about Kurt's situation than has ever been reported. I am of the opinion that Kurt was likely staying in Susan's basement during this time that he was in hiding. I'm not convinced that Franco had anything to do directly with Kurt's death, though he may have been a witness or in the inner circle of the folks who did it. I think Kurt's body was dumped in the ravine. That's not where he died. That seems to be pretty accepted. I do not believe that Kurt died at Susan's house when she made that early morning call to Dorothy, based primarily on the coroner's time of death. He should have already been dead when Susan called, so it did not happen at that time. Now, based off the evidence, I can't offer an explanation as to why Susan called when she did, based on what we've got. I cannot explain the incident with that alleged lunatic with all these psychic gifts. I cannot explain why Kurt would run from his buddy David when he saw him on the side of the road. I cannot explain why Sam took Kurt to this party and then left Kurt there. I do not think there is any connection between Kurt and Eugene's death. That was just an odd coincidence. I've tried to link them. Others have tried to link them. And other than the scene of their death, there's nothing else that would connect them. So, okay, I haven't given you a theory. <laughs> and that's what I said I would do. So this is my gun to the head theory. Like, I would not bet money on this, but if you're forcing me to come up with something... Here's what I can do if you'll allow me to speculate and make some unsupported leaps in logic, all right? The best theory I can kind of scribble out is that Kurt got really drunk the night of the party and passed out. Susan had the other guys carry him down to the cot where he woke up probably confused and scared the next day while also feeling like total crap. Something was going on that Sam didn't like, so he just split. Maybe at an argument with Kurt, maybe he and Kurt read the situation differently, but Sam left Kurt to his own devices. Whatever was going on kept Kurt from calling his parents. I will wildly guess that it was due to a psychological reaction to the situation he was in. And not that he was being bullied or held at gunpoint or anything like that. Because when we see David, what do we do? Does Kurt shout for help? Does he run towards David? Does he start crying? Does he act nervous? Not really. He just wants to get the heck away from David. Kurt was hanging out with this new crowd. And like I've suggested that earlier, he was probably because teenagers love to do this, trying to find a way to fit in, be accepted, be considered cool, right? And in doing so, he engaged in behaviors he typically wouldn't, and something caused Kurt to die just suddenly. I suspect in a panic, this new group of friends slash people don't want to get in trouble, don't want anything to do with the murder, so they carry Kurt from Susan's home, which I think is the most plausible location of his death, and toss him in the ravine. Now, there's no evidence from the crime scene of footprints or anything like that around the body. So I think he was tossed in. I don't think he was carried in. I don't think him being in a Christ-like pose means anything other than that's how he landed. But again, we don't have a whole lot of evidence from the crime scene, so... Just going off of what we have, that's my opinion on that. Susan knows what happens, has a guilty conscience. It's the anxiety of the situation slowly wears her down, and that's why she makes the 3 a.m. call to Dorothy. 
either in an effort to spur his parents into looking for Kurt or perhaps in an effort to attempt to create some sort of alibi that she wasn't involved with it because why else would she call the mom of the victim if she was the murderer? That's not very good logic, um, but that's how some people think I've noticed. Had police searched Susan's house, I truly believe they would have found evidence of Kurt at least staying there. And I think if police had taken Susan to the police department and really put pressure on her, she would have confessed to what really happened. Not necessarily that she did anything, but I think we'd have a lot more information about Kurt's final hours. Now, there is the possibility that if Kurt was staying with Susan, there is a chance, despite me saying we don't have any evidence of this earlier, that they were engaged in some sort of relationship. If such a relationship existed, Kurt may have been too immature to know how to tell his friends and his family that he had hooked up with an older woman who had a child, right? When you're 17 years old and your girlfriend has a child, that's not going to go over very well with a lot of parents. Something caused his death approximately four days after he left his house. And it was something the coroner could not catch. Now, I don't think he just suddenly died. Like, you know, the hand of God came down and killed him. I'm more of the opinion that the coroner missed something. And because we have such dreadfully bad police work, we are left with no real facts or answers to rely on. That's my best guess. That's my best theory. And I would love to have some of y'all email me and poke holes in it just so we can build a better theory together. Um, you know, I have very little confidence I'm correct. <laughs> and so as long as you don't call me names, I won't take any offense to anyone writing in. Like I said, I would love hearing other people's thoughts on this theory and perhaps pitching your own. But don't come at me with, he died of alcohol poisoning. I don't believe that to be true. And don't come at me with, he was murdered or something like that. There's no signs of trauma, remember. Well, keep the evidence in mind when you're thinking about this. Okay, with that, we're going to wrap up this crazy little mystery. This is one of those cases that demonstrates why good police work is always needed. If you do a good investigation up front, even if you can't solve the crime, right? You have given future detectives a foundation to work from. And they can look at it and say, oh, Brad missed this here. Let's investigate this. Because we're all human, we all make mistakes, and we work better as a, you know, in a group environment in solving mysteries like this. Sadly... This town was dealt a police force that just didn't give a crap. They were clearly just going through the motions, doing the bare minimum, because no one's looking over their shoulder. They've got bigger things going on in their life, right? And because of that, a mom and a dad go to their graves not knowing what happened to their baby boy. So not a fun story. Not near as bad as what I've been subjecting y'all to recently, but that's the story of, Court, of Kurt Sova. I have a palate cleanser, but it does not come from Mr. Eli. It was actually suggested to us by one of our listeners, listener Christine, I think. Let me check. And nope, I was totally wrong. It's listener Victoria. Victoria, who is one of our most supportive and passionate listeners. So yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm bad with names and probably shouldn't be trusted with a pad, podcast. Here's the joke she submitted now. I will warn you, this did not go through Mr. Eli. It has not been screened by him. It may not reach his rigorous standards, but I'm going to offer it up because it was given to me as a gift, and it's rude to ignore gifts, right? So what did the grape say when it was stepped on? It didn't say anything. It just let out a little whine. 
But thank you, Victoria, for that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this break from our stream of super dark cases. I've been just shoving down your throats, or I guess your earballs the last few months. Um, I didn't really plan to become so dark. I just kept stumbling into ones that caught my attention, and they weren't pretty. Maybe that says something about me. I, I don't really know. But many thanks again to listener Brett for suggesting this one. It really is a head-scratcher, and I wish I had gotten to it sooner. As always, I'm going to throw myself at your feet and beg for your help in continuing to help grow this little podcast. Please share, review, leave kind ratings, force us in your friends' faces, share us on social media with your friends. You know, just tell them to give old KMH a listen. Even go on Reddit, go on their podcast forum and just talk about what a neato show this is, right? Whenever somebody wants a podcast recommendation, recommendation, drop our name. I mean, are we the best? No. Are we fun? Sometimes. Are we different? I, I would say kind of, yeah. So just keep being the engine that makes this train go and know that I love you for all the efforts y'all put in to help. We'll try to be back next week if the creek don't rise, and I'll try to have another episode that isn't about human trafficking or sex cults or the like, okay? No reason to end the school year on such a dark note. If you follow us on Instagram, something special may be happening in the near future. If you don't follow us on Instagram, maybe you want to jump on that train. If you have Instagram. If you don't, totally understand why. I get it. I've enjoyed Instagram more than I thought I would, but we are kmh.podcast. You can find us. We'd love to have you. Until next time, just keep living the dream and building your best life, even if that means you build it upon a foundation of ice cream and Netflix. Do your best. All right? Love you, kids. See you next time. Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.